Keith, and you're listening to General Intellectinet. This time we're continuing our discussion of Computer Power and Human Reason by Joseph Weizenbaum. If you didn't catch the first part of this series, I'd recommend pausing this episode, going back several, and starting from there. Once again, thanks for listening, we hope you enjoy the show. to chapter three, How Computers Work, which I I found interesting, but really it's just this very bottom-up description of like how to go from, like an, how to instantiate one of these abstract machines in reality. And it's like, it, it's interesting that he, he kind of describes the von Neumann architecture, but never names it. But like, you know, he, he did name the Turing machine, but like, it's, it's just, be, it's building up a concept of like binary digits and then binary digits instantiated as electrical pulses, um, address spaces, you know, like, um, data storage, you know, the ability to jump to locations and data. He's just building it up piece by piece in this very instructive way like if you don't know how any of this shit works this is a good chapter to get an instinct of how it works but it is really just compsci 101 um he goes through the concept of a routine like a function or a procedure and then how to you solve a problem using a function and then you make sub functions to solve sub problems and it's just like that's just program composition like you build up a program out of functions that call other functions or procedures that call other procedures um it's, I don't know, it, it is interesting, but I, I think there's very little content here until quite a bit later. I'm scrolling, 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 trying to find the bit where we can get something. Mm-hmm. 102-ish, you start to get into some, like, real convert, like, dis- discussion. Okay, let's go there. Um, oh, yeah, programming style of language, language as tool that changes a view of the world. Yeah, sure, here we go. Maslow's hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're back on track, right? Like he's he's laid out how to build a fucking uh, von Neumann machine from uh, bits of silicon and copper wires that you have lying around, um, and gets into yeah this like you know he's, we're back into the concepts of languages as tools that change your view of the world that like the program structures a worldview. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So there's one thing that he talks about. Um, He says, uh, for the moment, I wish to emphasize that a higher level programming language, such as that represented by the preceding fragment, is in fact a formal language. The meanings of expressions written in it are determined, of course, by its transformation rules. And these, in turn, are embodied in the procedures that translate it into assembly and ultimately into machine language. If, therefore, one had to say what a particular higher language program means, one would have to point ultimately to its machine language reduction and even to the machine corresponding to it. One would have to say it means what the machine does with that code. However, that is not how such questions are answered in reality. For the translator is itself a program and therefore transforms the computer into which it is loaded into quite another computer, namely a computer for which that language is its machine language. There is then an equivalence not only between formal languages and abstract games, but between these and computing machines. To put it another way, there are important universes of discourse in which the distinctions between languages and their machine embodiments disappear. 
lest this be thought a merely philosophical point of little practical consequence, I must say immediately that not only do most of today's programmers think of the languages they use as being their machines, very literally so, but many, perhaps most, have no knowledge whatever of their computer's machine language or of the content and structure of the translators that mediate between them and their computers. This observation is not made as a criticism, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, no one is to be faulted for using a language or a machine more congenial to his purposes than is some other machine, merely because the other machine is somehow more primitive. But the observation does raise an important question. If today's programmers are largely unaware of the detailed structures of the physical machines they are using, of their languages, and of the translators that manipulate their programs, then they must also be largely ignorant of many of the arguments I have made here, particularly of those arguments concerning the universality of computers and the nature of effective procedures. How then do these programmers come to sense the power of the computer? I think it's very funny that this is coming from the fucking 70s and it's still absolutely true. Like, you know, back then it was so much closer to the metal and we are so much further from the metal now. And no, we're so much farther from God's light. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, each level of abstraction, you know, separating us from the machine code. Yeah. Um, very fucking funny that this is still absolutely recognizable, even though we would be so like we would be judged so much more harshly now <laughs> for this same thing um but yeah very interesting question right like how if most programmers like working programmers don't think in terms of the turing machine or in, in terms of universality of effective procedures or anything like that how do we still end up in this space where people are kind of convinced of the universal power of the computer right it has to it has to still be something apparent at a higher level yeah and he says uh, their conviction that, so to say, the computer can do anything, i.e. their correct intuition that language that the languages available to them are, in some non-trivial sense, universal, comes largely from their impression that they can program any procedure they thoroughly understand. That impression, in turn, is based on their experience of the power of subroutines and of the reducibility of complex decision processes to hierarchies of binary, i.e. two-way two -way branching choices. Um, and so it's, it's like, you know, this experience that everything is grist for the mill of, mm. uh, of reducibility is, uh, informs a kind of intuition of universality that isn't that isn't actually informed by the sort of first principle problems of the universal Turing machine, but only, hey, you know, I can write a program about anything. I, you know, if I if I come to, you know, multiple decision problems, then I just, you know, decompose that into sets of binary problems. Like, you know, it's all possible. Like, there's no limit to this. Yeah, at that, 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 that point, I start to wonder if, like, you know, the translation of one into the other through heuristics isn't, like, another one of those, like, spheres of accumulation, that, you know, through the Luxembourg-Harvey model of, like, trying to extract, like, new sources of value from all, like, all 
you know, value, of course, in the 2000s version of value where we're like, yeah, no, no one knows what that means, but just roll with it. Like, but, but, you right. know, you're, you're, tra- but you're, you're trying to, you know, intensify some kind of like imperial process. And I think there is a rent seeking like value process with this. Absolutely. Like this, this is the, um, it's the flip side of the computerization process that he described in chapter one, right? This like relentless drive towards the comp- computerization and like rationalization, numerization and all that kind of stuff, right? That like, if you have some kind of human process that is too messy to deal with, you kind of change it to make it amenable to these like bright binary decision trees. And then the practitioners who are actually implementing this stuff, like they're, you know, implementing business rules in fucking Pascal or whatever in the seventies, they have this experience of this being effective in part because the, the system, the culture and the system is pre-digesting these problems for them that by the time you as a programmer, by the time you get one of these problems and it lands on your desk, it's been chewed on. Like the, the human messiness has been scraped off and it's been reduced to a specification that is amenable to being implemented in these formal terms. And then you experience that as an effective thing. Like, oh my God, look what I just did. It's amazing. Um, somebody had to get trampled for that to become something you could actually do. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. But it's it's the unreasonable effectiveness of programming, right? Like, of course, you're going to start believing that it's it's totally universal, that the entire world could be blanketed in this stuff, if this is what you, your experience of it is. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, I, I came to grips with all of this just thinking about applied mathematics and trying to get as like, far as you could with it before you have to start modeling persons and just assuming that, you, you know, you're not going to really be able to, like... Put, put into an equation what like somebody's self <laughs> like all, all the all the important things that make you you like or it's not gonna like it's just yeah i don't know like i i don't i don't yeah this i i keep saying it's like an intuitional metaphysical thing but it keeps being that like uh yeah i was just gonna uh say that um he kind of touches on this when he moves to um this next section here where he first, uh, you know, points out some kind of like basic problems with the behavior of the classic Turing machine that diver- like the computers diverge from them. The first is that like you can you don't have to go linearly through the tape. Mm. The computer can come up. Yeah, the computer can also come up with uh, uh, procedures uh, like search rules of its own. Um mm. And then the second point was that uh, you you can give uh, rules weakly analogous to Turing machine quintuples to computers, and that gives you a kind of flexibility, um, you know. But the main point that he brings up here is that um, the idea that a person can write a program that embodies anything he quote unquote thoroughly understands is at least equally problematical. Understanding something always means understanding it at a certain level. An actuary uses some fairly sophisticated mathematical tools whose fundamentals he almost certainly doesn't understand or care anything about. Everyone who makes change uses arithmetic, but very few people know or care much about the beautiful axiom system on which arithmetic is based. In effect, we all constantly use subroutines whose input-output behavior we believe we know but whose details we need not and rarely do think about. To understand something sufficiently well to be able to program it for a computer, 
does not mean to understand it to its ultimate depth. There can be no such ultimate understanding in practical affairs. Programming is rather a test of understanding. In this respect, it is like writing. Often, when we think we understand something and attempt to write about it, our very act of composition reveals our lack of understanding even to ourselves. Uh, our pen writes the word because and suddenly stops. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, this... Um, we, we, we go through this programming process and the computer can actually reveal our lack of understanding by, you know, the sort of classic programming problem of like, we have an idea in mind for an algorithm, we try to write it, and then the computer is like, what are you asking me to do? Or shows some kind of, mm -hmm. shows some kind of like uh, erroneous result that we never anticipated before, right? Um, I've, I've had this happen so many times. I had it happened pretty recently, actually, where, um, I don't know, I won't go through, through the even a, a summary of the whole story, but basically it was like, oh, shit, we have this problem. Okay, well, here's here's a solution that I think will work. And like I, t I talked with like the principal engineer on the team, and he was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds like it'll, it'll work. Okay, and as soon as I sat down to like actually put my fingers on the keyboard, I was like, oh, no, that, that actually won't work at all, right? Like, it seemed like something that made sense until you actually sat down and tried to program it. And you're like, oh yeah, holy shit, there's a big hole here, you know? Um, and it's, you think, you think you understand something and it's like, the test is like, can you actually prove it by writing a program? And you're like, oh no, 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 no. I don't understand that. Like that, that is, there's just something fundamentally erroneous in the idea that um, is only revealed by the, 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 the attempt to actually, as, as he says, like you, you write the word because, and then you're like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 and he, he says that um, the other side of the coin is the belief that one cannot program anything unless one thoroughly understands it. This misses the truth that programming is, again, like any other form of writing, more often than not experimental. One programs just as one's writes, not because one understands, but in order to come to understand. Um, so, yeah, th there's there is a uh, working out of things in programming that is not obvious if you approach it as like algorithm specification in a very like bare sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like at its best, it's often a kind of recursive feedback loop of like just like exploring what's possible. You have some data in hand, you transform it a little and you're like, huh, okay, interesting. It starts to look like this now and what's the next thing I can do? Um, as you said, a working out rather than like, I guess like the, the kind of classic, um, notion of like the technologist as like the wizard in the tower who like perfectly specifies the algorithm and then, then descends from the clouds to implement us. It. It's, it's often that like the, you're, you're kind of going back and forth between theory building and like trying to prove it out. Yeah. And then he talks about like the, the type of criticism you get from a computer is one that's maddeningly efficient at stumbling over purely technical, i.e. linguistic progr programming errors, uh, but stumbling in a way that disguises the real locus of the trouble. Um, so th there, there is a type of like very picky um, criticism that you get from a computer, which can be useful. But he also like contrast that to say like what you get from like a literary critic critiquing a book right mm. they're not going to come after you for 
like technical violations of grammatical rules, he says. Yeah, it is totally possible to construct, like, you'll you'll have this experience of, like, you type out some code and it's just like, oh, fuck, I missed a comma, or whatever, or I missed a curly brace or a fucking square bracket or something. And that's, that's that kind of pedantic, narrow criticism you'll get. But it won't tell you that the model is just fucking wrong, that you're, like, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, it won't tell you that, like, oh, by the way, you're duplicating records in the database. That's just not the level of criticism you're going to get, whereas... You know, a literary critic is going to say that, like, well, your, your, your character's motivation just doesn't really make sense here. You know, that's a whole different level of criticism. Yeah, of, like, aesthetic judgment that you don't yeah, get yeah. from a parser <laughs> or from a, a compiler. Yeah. And notably, like, in, in the profession, like, we go around and we actually do a peer review, code review, so that... I code up some changes and I submit them for review and it is an aesthetic judgment and kind of like somebody else has to like understand what's going on and then point out, but hey, like you're, you're, you're building a change set here and you're not actually persisting it to the database. Like, is that intentional? Oh no, fuck Jesus. Like, you know, that's a fuck up, you know? Um, peer review is essential there because we know that the computer isn't going to fucking help us, you know? Like, it's, no, it's interesting to hear like programmers experience of this because, you know, I will just sometimes hear people like disdainfully refer to something as like pattern matching rather than true coding or, you know, programming rather than coding. You know, there's, you know, there's always like a, a and, and actually there is um, a big salary difference for, you know, people employed, you know, doing mm -hmm. like the details of front, front end, you know, if salary is even the word um, versus, you know, the, the, the grand like masters of, of the, code yeah and i order um <laughs> so it's it's just something i was start to i start to wonder like is this how real is you know and yes this you know category of judgment also comes into coding and you can code things and th yeah there's a whole series of decisions that get made that are actually not technical at all yeah like so much so much of what we do and so much of what we try to optimize for in and especially when we go around this code review loop um is, th is things that are not, not really technical, they're like uh, comprehensibility. Like, yeah, th th this code looks like it functions correctly, but it's really fucking hard to read. I think there's a better way to express this concept that would be easier on the person who comes here next and tries to read it and tries to understand what it's doing. And th those are those are just are human aesthetic kind of judgments, right? Like, the machine doesn't care what it's executing just as long as it functions, but like, you know, we, 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 we do care about these kind of aesthetic things and like, even just basic shit, like making it easier on ourselves later, you know? There's nothing worse than coming back to some code you wrote a couple of months ago and be like, what the fuck even is this, you know? I'm completely baffled by my own, by my own work, you know? Um, and so there's a lot of this, again, human judgment of like, and group judgment of like, each team develops a culture of like, what do we value? Like we value clarity. We don't necessarily value performance. Like we will take clarity even if it's less performant. We value, you know, being able to compose these things well, even if it means, you know, maybe, maybe we lose clarity. You know, there's, there's just like, it's, it's judgment, right? It's not calculable. Yeah. Um, so the end of the, the end of the chapter, he says, um, a computer's successful performance is often taken as evidence that it or its programmer understand a theory of its performance. Such an inference is unnecessary and more often than not is quite mistaken. 
The relationship between understanding and writing thus remains as problematical for computer programming as it has always been for writing in any other form. <laughs> understanding is a hell of a thing. Anyone that's ever done journaling knows you don't understand everything you write. And like, yeah. And then you look back on it and be like, oh, wow, that's what that was. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, no writer alive can provide an account of like the sort of from, from first principles uh, process of writing, right? It's just at some point you just reach a level of like, I don't know, there's neural stuff going on, but I don't know what's happening. Let's do chapter four, Science and the Compulsive Programmer, which um, this guy fucking hates programmers. It's so funny. Um, yeah, they're all a bunch of fascist gremlins. Like they, they need to shower. Yeah, he has a he has a fondness for the professional programmer, this virtuous kind of um, variant. Uh, yeah, that's right. No, no, that person's all right because actually because they are they're applied. They're an engineer. They're okay because they're an engineer, uh, because they they care about problem solving a lot. And we, as we know, problem solving applied engineering types are not associated. Uh, there's no toxic reputation there, right? Like in in pr practicality, and uh, there's nothing toxic about that, right? Because I, I I just I actually found that that braided with my understanding of like how how these things work now. Um, more mm, so than his mm. negative description of the the purest, you know, the 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 one that just loves the authoritarian lust for um, uh, wrestling a computer for domination or you know, whatever whatever like Frankfurt School imagery is using to describe people who en enjoy making a computer work. Mm -hmm. Um. The, like, some of this early part of this chapter is kind of treading some of the same ground about abstract machines and slash games versus, which are, like, detached from the real world, but are running on a physical substrate. Um, he makes an interesting point that, like, if you make a bad move in chess, you can't blame the hardware, you know? Like, if you, if you make a misstep and you, you kind of fuck up and it's, like, a, a bad strategic move, you can't say, well... I am accustomed to playing with ivory pieces and these ones are wooden. So, you know, it's because you can't, you can't blame the controller. You can't blame the controller, right? Like the fuck up is in the realm of the game, not the realm of the physical substrate. I mean, you, you, you can blame environmental conditions for food policy. I know that from the Soviet Union. Right. Yeah. But I guess that that is true. But in an abstract game like chess, it's um, it's harder to make that argument. <laughs> Certainly. This is honestly this is, this is where an abstract game is is much is much clearer and saner and gooder and gooder than a uh, than one of these sensuous systems. We've been talking about you know the human sensuous world as if it's like this lovely thing, but you know sometimes it is, and sometimes you really need to be sensitized to like horrible things that are outside of the nice precious world of uh, abstraction and application. Um. I don't know, he, he talks a bit about, like, the kind of, this divide between, like, um, an engineer working with a physical substrate, uh, like, designing a circuit does need to have an understanding of the limits of the physical substrate, whereas somebody who's playing around in the realm of abstract games just doesn't need to, doesn't really need to have, it doesn't have a pressing need to understand that kind of stuff, you know, even though they're, they're running on the hardware, they don't necessarily need to care um, one way or the other, um, yeah, there's there's very few people who will like go from uh programming to like 
Hmm. I wonder how exactly like this uh, computer yeah. functions and like I'm going to break it like I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to like, do like Linux from scratch. And then after that, I'm going to look at the circuit board and, you know, the electrical engineering involved like that. That is just like not a jump that almost anyone makes yeah and actually actually this that this has turned up recently um in some very interesting like security problems and vulnerabilities with um basically there's been vulnerabilities recently that like um because modern cpus they use what you call speculative execution where if you have a branch that's based on a condition and you're you're like calculating the condition cpus will actually start executing both branches optimistically and then they'll delete the one that didn't turn out to be true and then they'll continue with the one that did turn out to be true but what's really interesting there is that in some cases you can get data loaded into the cache in the cpu uh, which anyway whatever nerd shit but the point is that you could write a little javascript program on a website that would actually extract people's passwords from the cpu based on timing Ooh. Based on fucking timing, because reading a value that's already in cache is faster than reading the value that isn't. Oh my god. Anyway, there's a whole complex web web of bullshit and nerd stuff that goes on there, but the point is that side effects from the physical substrate and the particular implementation decisions can actually show up in the game, like in the abstract world of programs. Some people find that very surprising, that the details of the physical substrate would leak out into the the sort of abstract world of math and fucking formal logic. No, it's it 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 makes me understand why people like you know are so hostile to abstractions because technology cloaks itself in basically being like you're you're having bare contact with the forms right now. You 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 right now are dealing with the fundamental like things yeah. of reality. Whereas it's, you know, a highly abstracted, mediated process and like, and it's been, it's based, but it's based on stuff. Like it's based on data and, and basic data science. When you learn the concept of data corruption that like, wait, you mean sometimes the ones flip to zeros and the zeros flip to ones and you learn about like floating point arithmetic and all of the like limitations of machines and how these are all like deep, these are all approximations. You know, it's the, the thing that music nerds used to geek out about about the staircase effect you know um in dig- mm-hmm. digital is that somewhere deep down you're dealing with something jagged and not smooth like that you have a sample rate yeah um i've also seen this i i, I didn't actually read the paper but i saw the, t- the the sort of title and description of it where it seems really interesting that like you can extract you know like conversations people are having with large language models you can extract it from the noise the gpu makes yeah, yeah. You can actually rec- recover the text from just the noise that the fan makes and shit like that. You know, insane, insane stuff. The wow. I think that the there was a case where the NSA hacked into an Iranian nuclear site through like an air gapped system by just listening to like it was either the uh, electromagnetic um, uh, field. Uh, that was produced by the computers or by just the fan noise. Um, yeah. And, and was, and was able to hack in there yeah. just by that. So yeah, that was, it, it, I, I'm always fascinated when like the material intrudes into these kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very fun. Uh, I mean, not if you're the person involved in the project, but well, if you're a no. bystander, it's very fun. Well, it's conceptually fun. It, like it, it yeah. does the thing w- between a bifurcated world 
and you know the material substrate and shows the shows causation like it's it's, it's comforting you know <laughs> It's comforting for us, for us the contrarians that like like yeah. to point out that we're not actually in the realm of forms we're dealing with, unlike some worrying drives like that are in real places in real life with owners and. It's the um, it's the revenge of the repressed, you know. Uh, you gotta love it sometimes. Absolutely. Yes, uh, no, it's beautiful. So this is how we get to the, um, the again the schism between um, the kind of low level details and this high level world of of um, nut job sort of programming, right? Like that. Um, the the programmer seems to find themselves in a universe that they where they alone are the one who create the laws right like in this unlimited authority and power um this where he gets to his like scathing kind of description of like the compulsive programmer this is fantastic it's 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 yeah it's like the the chad engineer versus the virgin compulsive programmer yeah um this is basically what we get into in the, the rest of this <laughs> oh my god more or less which like okay so i think like i think there's like maybe i don't know i think you should elaborate before we problematize we should just like go into yeah that's what we said yeah so he's, he's kind of pivoting from like yeah this this uh, this sense of absolute authority and absolute power seems to corrupt people in this and cause this kind of degeneracy right like he under he, under, he actually even says to um to quote here um and the corruption evoked by the computer programmer's omnipotence manifests itself in a form that is instructive in a domain far larger than the immediate environment of the computer. To understand it, we will have to take a look at a mental disorder that, while actually very old, appears to have been transformed by the computer into a new genus, the compulsion to program. Right? And he's like, wherever these, wherever these like computer labs have popped up, you get these disheveled, sunken-eyed fucking losers shuffling in and sitting, sitting at the keyboard all day, every fucking day until they drop dead. Um, completely unwashed and unshaven, you know, they're absolutely oblivious to their own bodies, right? He calls them computer bums, the compulsive programmers, right? Um, they're locked into the fucking matrix. Yeah. They're an international phenomenon. They're an international phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong, but it's also very funny. He contrasts these with the professional programmer who is capable of getting up from the fucking chair and walking around a bit to think about a problem rather than just gluing their hands to the keyboard. Um... You know, the professional programmer might only might only have a short programming session because they've actually mulled over the problem. They're not compelled to fucking program night and day, right? The professional regards programming as a means toward an end, not as an end in itself, right? I don't know. It's very like the kind of like open source neckbeard Richard Stallman sort of fucking character, just like... Yeah, uh, I mean, so, yeah. I, I mean, I do like to I do like to punch at the technically oriented sometimes because, but I usually do it from the other side and I'm not pure enough. You know? <laughs> but um, but you know when when it, when it gets right down to it, like this um this does open up a new front in in the politics here. I think where like we have a bit of like yeah the, the virgin Chad dynamic is is on is very strong here is very real. It is extremely and yeah, and I like, and the Virgin Chad dynamic, as we know, is a you know social Darwinist meme from the internet, like more or less. Like, yeah, like he says, uh, the compulsive programmer is usually a superb technician, 
Moreover, one who knows every detail of the computer he works on, its peripheral equipment, the computer's operating system, etc. He is often tolerated around computer centers because of his knowledge of the system and because he can write small subsystem programs quickly, that is, in one or two sessions of, say, 20 hours each. After a time, the center may in fact be using a number of his programs, but because the compulsive programmer can hardly be motivated to do anything but program, he will almost never document his programs once he stops working on them. A center may therefore come to depend on him to teach the use of and to maintain the programs that he wrote and whose structure only he, if anyone, understands. His position is rather like that of a bank employee who doesn't do much for the bank, but who is kept on because only he knows the combination to the safe. His main interest is in any case not in small programs, but in very large, very ambitious systems of programs, usually the systems he undertakes to build and on which he works feverishly for perhaps a month or two or three have very grandiose but extremely imprecisely stated goals. Some examples of these ambitions are new computer languages to facilitate machine-man communications, a general system that can be taught to play any board game, a system to make it easier for computer experts to write super systems. This last one is a favorite. It is characteristic of many such projects that the programmer can long continue in the conviction that they demand knowledge about nothing but computers, programming, etc., and that knowledge he, of course, commands is in abundance. Indeed, the point at which such work is often abandoned is precisely when it ceases to be purely incestuous, i.e. when programming would have to be interrupted in order that knowledge from outside the computer world may be acquired. Yeah, this is very recognizable, right? Like these giant kind of insane bricolage kind of systems that are like self-contained and isolated and... They closed systems of knowledge, right? Um, and you, you can definitely... I, I've, I've encountered these people who, like, when they're asked to consider anything about the real world or about, like, the real interactions of their program with the world, they really resent it, right? They want it to be an isolated, pure system. Um, and they want to spend their time just adding more and more to it. This is kind of, like, a little bit later with the, the hacking, right? And I think it's really interesting that he calls out hacking because, like, the colloquial sort of stuff is like, oh, I'm I'm hacking on some project, whatever. But, he, he, like, uh, Weizenbaum really comes to this thing, like, the definition, you know, is, like, to cut irregularly without skill or definite purpose, right? And it, it's mangling. And so this, this compulsive programmer has built this system, like, this large system, and feels compelled to hack on it, to do it violence, basically, and to endlessly kind of mutate and just churn the thing around um which it, it's a very evocative kind of description of a kind of mindless repetition compulsion <laughs> you know yeah it says uh he has nothing he can analyze or synthesize in short he has nothing to form theories about. His skill is therefore aimless, even disembodied. It is simply not connected with anything other than the instrument on which it may be exercised. His skill is like that of a monastic copyist, who, though illiterate, oh, yes. is a first-rate calligrapher. His grandiose projects must therefore necessarily have the quality of illusions, indeed of illusions of grandeur, 
he will construct the one grand system in which all other experts will soon write their systems. Yeah. Um, very recognizable. There's the, the wonderful flip side to all this then with like, the hacking produces an unstable mess. It produces an in- incoherent patchwork, right? The the great grand system is actually this kind of mad mangle of just stuff bolted together. And of course, it's riddled with errors, right? And you have to go fix the errors. And you're in this kind of constant loop of like... Um, on the one hand, it's, it's a double bind, right? Like on the one hand, it seems like the computer can do anything, but you are failing constantly because you're constantly generating these error conditions and you're constantly hacking away to try to fix them, but errors pop up elsewhere. It's this frenzied kind of self-destructive loop. Um, you're kind of constantly pr- confronted with evidence of your own mistakes and um, in, in this realm in which you are supposed to be the lawmaker. Yeah, and uh, there's, there's something... Um... I don't know, there's something a lot less Frankfurt School about this stripe of argument. There is, you know, of course, the embodiment of reason, whatever, but there's also um, just this is not in this um, this idea that X, I don't know, there's a flex to this argument where like a real expert gets in there, does a job, gets out like you don't get obsessed with it in the same way. And and the real expert has something like the conjecture process available that that the real Mm -hmm. Like the real engineer is something of a theorist. Just yeah. what he what he describes, you know, about hypothesis testing, like sounds like the, the mathematical conjecture process. And so what he's describing is that the real proper programmer is basically a mathematician, and like uh, is a, is much more rational than the well, people that are. You can look at the big picture, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, I have definitely gone through this process he describes here, where he says, indeed, the compulsive programmer's excitement rises to its highest, most feverish pitch when he's on the trail of a most recalcitrant error, when everything ought to work, but the computer nevertheless reproaches him by misbehaving in a number of mysterious, unapparently unrelated ways. It is then that the system the programmer has himself created gives every evidence of having taken on a life of its own and certainly of having slipped from his control. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's true. Like, I, you know, the reason why I don't do much programming is well, right. because the compulsion is so strong in my mind no. when I get into these situations that I, I I cannot take care of my basic human needs. And it's it's incredibly, incredibly unhealthy. Um, so I have to, like, stay away from it so as to not, like, you know, destroy my entire health. Um, mm. So, yeah, like, I definitely recognize that as being, like, a real thing. Yeah. I, it's interesting to me how much the... As a, as a day-to-day programmer, like, how much of the, um, the profession, like, is putting some of the brakes on this kind of stuff? Like, how much of the, again, the professional programmer, I guess, is, like, we're always trying to steer against these kind of impulses. Like, we're, again, we do code review, we do we do peer review and stuff, and we are very conscious to not overwork, to not do work outside of hours, you know, because it, it is so... I've, I've had that experience of being, like, just after hours, I mean, like... I just, I have the fucking problem embedded in my mind and it's like, it's unsolved. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that fucking process crashes before it ever gets to that point. Oh shit. You know, I'm so tempted to go open the work laptop again 
I have to fight myself not to. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's an intrusive thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 he says, uh, um, should he, however, find a deeply embedded error, one that actually does account for much of the program's misbehavior, his joy is unbounded. It is a thrill to see a hitherto moribund program suddenly come back to life. There is no other way to say it. When some deep error has been found, he repaired many different portions of the program, which until then had given nothing but incomprehensible outputs, suddenly behave smoothly and deliver precisely the intended results. There is reason for the diagnostician to be pleased, and if the error was really deep inside the system, even proud. But the compulsive programmer's pride and elation are very brief. His success consists of his having shown the computer who its master is and having demonstrated that he can make it do this much. He immediately sets out to make it do even more. Thus, the entire cycle begins again. He begins to, quote, improve his system, say, by making it run faster or by adding, quote, new features to it, <laughs> or improving the ease with which oh data God. can be entered into it and gotten out of it. The act of modifying the then existing program invariably causes some of its substructures to collapse. They constitute, after all, an amorphous collection of processes whose interactions with one another are virtually fortuitous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I yeah. love the shit. Um, well, this this has this has the strong energy of someone stuffing like their self twenty years ago in a locker, like yeah, like more or less, like yeah, like the the vitriol is so palpable. Alyssa, I, I I understand. Yeah, like. Uh, his apparently devoted efforts to improve and promote his own creation are really an assault on it, an assault whose only consequence can be to renew his struggle with the computer. Uh-huh. And, like, Weizenbaum thinks of this, like, hacking, this, like, cycle of self-sabotage, basically, as, like, an illustrative of a general disorder afflicting society. Um, he even says, like, a uh, quote here, a psychopathology that is far less ambiguous than, say, the milder forms of schizophrenia or paranoia. <laughs> like, strong fucking statements, you know? Well, well, so this gets into maybe the other part of this, because the, the, the point of this essay is not, you know, a sort of clean your room life advice for programmers or or whatever. It, it's a so, somewhat moralized, like, somewhat moralizing, like, narrative about, like, how this is affecting humanity and like the, the status of, of the people affected with this disease, which, you know, that does, I'm not, I'm not seeing where if by promoting this book, we might accidentally create a neo reactionary tendency. Like, Oh, I mean, I think, it, like, I, think like, I, can, know... I can see where this is operationalized and like, there's that always sunny in Philadelphia. What's their angle? You know? Like, like that's like a great Hobbesian. It's like this is my view of the internet these days. Is it like takes something and goes, "All right, what's an angle? How can we sell? How can we sell poison with this? Like, how do we fuck yeah, people up more? Like, I, 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 I think the thing is like it's. I mean, it's definitely like pathologizing a lot of aspects of like autistic special interests right yeah uh yes 100 fucking percent which, well, but this is 
Yeah, this is the anti, this is like the Twitter, Twitter hot shit, like employed engineer being like, don't be an incel. Like, that's, yeah, that's not my kind of social Darwinism. My kind of social Darwinism is this, like, <laughs> like if, if you're really good at in, instrumental rationality, you'll punch out because you don't, you, you don't get obsessed with it. You loser. Like you just get in there, punch out, like, um, you know, be a professional. And- and I mean, I think the thing where, like, you know, you say it's like very much somebody like shoving their twenty years younger self in a locker. It it it's like, yeah, like I think that very very many people with autism are like acutely aware of the problems of this behavior, right? Yeah, like through life experience, yeah. but at the same time, like aren't necessarily as hateful and vitriolic as this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I tinker with things and go off down, like, rabbit holes. And, you know, like, I do a lot of stuff that is, like, very context-blind and, uh, uh, like, deeply myopic. Um, and I I have, you know, with like my ADHD, I have like very little capacity to direct my, my activities towards things that I think are like high priority, right? It's just, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen for a lot of how it goes. But like, I don't have to like hate myself to this degree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you'd be better off not doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. And then, all right. So let's think about contemporary politics of like disembodiment, because disembodiment is actually a big portion of this. And so this is where we did we did a Heidegger again, and we're accidentally counterposing the corrupt abstraction, like those those instantiations of the abstract, you know, with their disembodiment, like, and they're you know against this like Chad good worker. You know, yeah. go, goes home and plows his wife, doesn't think about, yeah, yeah. like, does not think, you know, there's that crack about, uh, you could design a system, you know, we're losing, there, there's a, there's a, there's a very quick aside that I think gives the cultural tone that I don't know if I'm going to be able to find about, um, you know, you you could design an abstract model where, you know, profitable institutions like get selected out of markets. You could design a model where only homosexual families produce children. Like that shit's absurd. Like it does have this like like I think, you know, because of like uh, our embeddedness with these the, essentially like I don't know how to put this, but there's a kind of common sense, you know, and, like and, you know. more or less life-affirming like resistance to like the 4chan incel archetype you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i don't yeah like that can weirdly become the basis of like a nationalist liberal social darwinism like and that that's that doesn't sit right like i don't i don't like it because that's another like it's actually kind of you know I don't know. Now that now that I'm not a disembodied freak and I'm like, you know, comfortable with myself now. Thank you very much. Like, uh, you know, it, it would be like, I don't know, somewhat comfortable to be about beat up on people like that and, you know, engage in this. But it just, yeah, just strikes, is... that strikes me, strikes me as a reactionary behavior in a sense. Like, 
Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Is the yeah. thing is like, like you could point out problems with behavior without attaching the level of like hatred that is here. Uh, and like disgust, right? Like it kind of says, like it's kind of like you're telling on yourself, you know, like disgust you, with disembodiment you, you, in programming. Like I'm yeah, just yeah. trying, I'm just trying to think of like where this was is gonna go in the future, you know, like in in the milieu. Like what are these disembodied people doing? Like wh- wh- where why are they disembodied? Where are they going? Like what? And you know, like the, the emancipatory potential that's like there. At which at this point I think is probably limited to this specific aspect of gender, you know, where you're like, my body isn't the, the, the thing that people expect of me and my body. It's not what I would have hoped for. What can I do about mm. that? Like, yeah, like that, that, that's, we were talking about the return of the repress. That's like a really unexpected sexual, like, and side effect and a genuinely something genuinely egalitarian to come out of like technology but there's kind of no other analog for every like i don't know i'm being maybe hyperbolic but there's like some disability discourse um you know like people aren't having more understanding for that but you know that's you know, when you talk to people that are disabled about this they're more qualified about it because i don't know um like but i think the progress if you want to call it that gender stuff coming out of this is unambiguous and so this like rant against the disembodied here, like uh, also feels implicitly like if you're going to, you know, if you're thinking about that industry and it's implicitly transphobic, right? Like people that are like, or at least but people that are like not acting on them, they're not being their best selves. Okay. Like, mm. like it's, it's it, obviously he's not saying that, you know, it's like a more, mm. And there's a lot of arguments against, well, I don't know, not being in fucking touch with the world that like would also apply to eggs, but it's just cause it's in programming. This is in programming, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know what programming is like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like Weizenbaum would, would like eggs to resolve that tension by coming out and being their best selves. You know, I, I don't think he wants to line trans people up against a wall and shit. You don't beat it. the yeah. shit out of eggs. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. Yeah. But no, but like if, if like, I don't know, one of my partners is struggling with embodiment a lot recently. And it's like, it's very hard. It's, you don't flip a switch. Like you, you kind of like have to like really feel it out. It's a very difficult process. Like, but why is bomb? Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Why is bomb? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I agree with everything there. I think, um, I think that the sort of, I don't know, charitable read is that like Weizenbaum sees this particular instantiation as, perhaps world-endingly dangerous, like, and le- leading to a Landian nightmare of, like, the human spirit being totally disemboweled by machinery. Um, and that's his motivation, as, like, these are dangerous fucking people who are setting up for Armageddon by by programming computers, you know? <laughs> like, that's yeah, probably yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. It, it's, this, it, it's this thing of, like, the, 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 the sort of, again, like, where do these programmers work, right? Like, they work at the fucking the banks, and they work at the fucking Department of Defense and shit like that, and they're compulsively building the machinery for the destruction of humanity. I don't know. That's probably where he's coming from. Um, but maybe it's, a, it's an unfair swipe to go after the, uh, 
disembodied sort of aspie stuff, you know what I mean, <laughs> specifically? Well, I, I, th- I think it actually plays into the kind of neo-reactionary identity politics that you do get with like, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a high IQ incel, like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's the introductory material for that. Like, because, yeah, yeah, he, I, I, because, like, who gets promoted at these, like, you know, places? Probably not, like, the people that love programming the most. Like, any market, right? Like, like, like no, people that love programming, absolutely, absolutely not. It's the high-functioning ones that get promoted into the senior positions and into management and stuff, right? Like, the, the hapless, the hapless dorks usually get churned out. Yeah, so this is so this is also like a salvo in like between different like types of like professionals, but I I, just, I, I don't even really know how to read that like exactly. I, I just know like analogous sort of debates and these sorts of things. Like it reads like a you know p- pure mathematicians are better than applied mathematicians or something or like uh, well and, the, and yeah, but I I just think like. But yeah, you're right about the world ending stakes uh, of. Yeah, I, I, of I think it's, it, you know, the consequences of this stuff, like he says, you know, uh, uh, science and technology are sustained by their translations into power and control. To the extent that computers and computation may be counted as part of science and technology, they feed at the same table. The extreme phenomenon of the compulsive programmer teaches us that computers have the power to sustain megalomaniac fantasies, but that power (laughs) of the computer is merely an extreme version of a power that is inherent in all self-validating systems of thought. Perhaps we are beginning to understand that the abstract systems, the games computer people can generate in their infinite freedom from the constraints that delimit the dreams of workers in the real world may fail catastrophically when their rules are applied in earnest. We must also learn that the same danger is inherent in other magical systems that are equally detached from authentic human experience, and particularly in those sciences that insist that they can capture the whole man in their abstract skeletal frameworks. Um, you know, this ties the themes together. We should get on. We should kind of move forward into that sort of stuff about the self-validating systems of thought. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's just to say, like, yeah. Yeah, these are real problems, obviously. It's just like, I think in recognizing that the so-called like compulsive programmer is operating on compulsion, you have to have some compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that their choices and behavior are like considered, or what they would desire if they were taken out of the context of programming constantly, right? Like, it's yeah. like, it's like you know, uh, it's destructive and self-destructive, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to hate the person for being like that. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, like, that is the kind of, um, that's the pivot he sort of uses to get towards the argument about self-validating systems of thought, right? Because he makes the, um, again, like he, he says, yeah, this is a compulsion, and he makes the comparison to the compulsive gambler, right? This compulsive, joyless drive. Um, and he makes this kind of, he, he kind of makes these observations about um, 
megalomania and fantasies of omnipotence, right? And how the the compulsive gambler constructs a sort of mental realm of magical thinking in which they have predictive power over chance, right? Oh, if I carry a rabbit's foot, I, I get power over chance and whatever, you know? A kind of fantastical and weird model in which... Yeah, it is uh, fantasies of an omnipotence, right? Like, I am the powerful being who can control the threads of fate, right? Um, crucially, this belief is resistant to evidence, right? That, like, th the constant evidence of the gambler's failure doesn't actually bring down the edifice of their, their mental sort of framework. It resists empiricism. Um, it can integrate all failures, right? Like if you if you have the rabbit's foot, and you you do it on a Thursday, but you still don't win, it's like, well, I need I need a I need a drink in my hand, you know, in my right hand specifically, right? Like you can you can just endlessly rationalize this stuff, right? By piling on, and this is where we start to get the parallels again, by piling on features of the mental realm, right? This is hacking. It, the, the, the gambler hacks on their system, right? Like every, every, every gambler says they have an infallible system, right? And it's one that they've iterated on endlessly over years. And they've built up all these features and they've built up this internal world very much like that of the programmer, right? Of the compulsive programmer. An internal world that's been hacked on forever is filled with errors, but no, none of it ever really matters, right? The edifice never comes crumbling down because they're able to integrate every counterfactual. Um, he kind of gets into these, um, yeah, some of the features of these kinds of magical systems of thought, right? Um, circularity, right? Like the, the failure of the system could always be explained in its own terms. Again, like the, the rabbit's foot failing is explained in more magical terms. The error in a program is explained and is kind of resolved in terms of more program. Um, they're, they have this, like, piecemeal defense, right? Um, does he mention other stuff, like, other kind of woo sort of magical thought systems here? The piecemeal defense, I thought, like, reminded me a lot of, like, astrology. Yeah, he does mention astrology, specifically. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. If you just pick out one little fault, you can the, the system is always able to adjust itself in, in this very piecemeal sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, Use a lot of like m like modern Bailey arguments, right? Yeah, this is yeah with a Lakatosian research program as a sort of, as a sort of conjecture. You kind of run into this because this is where that kind of doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess like yeah, it never really you're never really gonna like get out of the realm of judgment when dealing with that like institutional like emergent institutional literature of political power like there's a quote then from he's kind of referring to Polanyi here um these three mechanisms called by Polanyi circularity self-expansion and suppressed nucleation consist constitute the main defensive armamentum of the true adherent of magical systems of thought the suppressed nucleation is like the kind of, I guess, suppression of alternative, alternative theories, right? You just sort of block out alternative explanations for the failures um, to maintain the whole thing. Um, I'm sorry, but all, all of my failures are due to the CIA. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and the consistent thing is the, the need for total control and certainty, right? The compulsive gambler needs to have control over randomness. Um, just desperately needs to get get some sense that they have certainty over it. Um, the programmer is very similar, right? Like has this need for a constructed 
uh, a constructed like palace of the mind in which they have absolute control over the the laws of that universe, the contained universe of the game. See, I th- I, I really do think of this as a unique something uniquely like har- haram about application and applied like these applied logical different th- disciplines that you know if if you're very pure, all you really have is this process of like no no you're wrong like and you don't like at at no point when doing mathematics do i feel like i control reality i'm just constantly running into no you're wrong without this like positive loop of all right now you've owned reality no now you've learned the majesty of the angle of this argument and it appeals to something i suppose much more like you know, okay, if this is like authoritarian, I suppose, you know, being into pure math is a submissive behavior because you don't get to control the grand object of analysis. You have to just keep learning the territory yeah. over and yeah. over again. Like yeah. it is like, like learning a map and there's all these twists and turns and it's all connected. It's logical as logical as a human endeavor can be. But, you know, you, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, that make that tracks. I think there's some more interesting kind of um, observations here about um, again. He's still on the kind of gambler stuff, right? But like, they have these these properties of like being absolutely convinced that they'll win. They have total faith in their own cleverness and. The point to me I found very interesting, the the kind of universal self-reference, right, that like everything can be, everything can be explained within the system. And the parallel he draws is with the programmers and how everything in the world can be explained in terms of computers and programs, right? Which is a very recognizable kind of thing you just see everywhere, like where people are, and it's again, it's, this, it's that category of people from chapter one of like people who were convinced that the entirety of human experience is computerizable that like these these kind of universal systems. Um, he then gets on to like, Polanyi comes back in again and like now we get into, we've, we've gone from the compulsive programmer to the compulsive gambler and then we compare to science, right? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go, let's yeah. go. More Frankfurt School, more Frankfurt School. Ezri, do you want to start this on the bottom of one, two, six? And I think it begins with indeed as Polanyi correctly points out. Indeed, as Polanyi correctly points out, the stability of scientific beliefs is defended by the same devices that protect magical belief systems. Quote, any contradiction between a particular scientific notion and the facts of experience will be explained by other scientific notions. There is a ready reserve of possible scientific hypotheses available to explain any conceivable event within science itself. The stability of theories against experience is maintained by epicyclical reserves which suppress alternative conceptions in the germ, end quote. Um, hence we can make out a continuum at one of its extreme stand science scientists and technologists who much resemble the compulsive programmer at the other extreme are those scientists, humanists, philosophers, artists, artists, and religionists who seek understanding as whole persons and from all possible perspectives. Um, yeah, the affairs of the world appear to be in the hands of technicians whose psychic constitutions approximate those of the former to a dangerous degree. Meanwhile, the voices that speak the wisdom of the louder seem to be growing ever fainter, ever fainter. So, you know, very much like a, a team, team humanities, but also this broader understanding of, you know, what constitutes humanities, maybe like, because I think here he really wants to be included on team humanities and, and appeal to like an earlier sense of what it means to be a scientist, like a humanist sense of what it means to be a scientist. 
Yeah, a, a scientist as a natural philosopher, right? You know what I mean? Um, he's he's not anti-science. He just wishes that it didn't have... No, 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 no. He, he wishes it didn't have this obsessive-compulsive streak to it. And the, the circularity, the conviction that everything is explainable within the system, that there's no need to reference anything outside of it, there's no, there isn't even a need to allow other explanations to germinate. Um, and the, the absolute conviction that the... Uh, model is universal, right? Um, and it is, it is, it is a, there's uncanny parallels with all these other kinds of self-justifying systems, right? Like magical systems. Um, they have the internal defense. They have this like iterative expansion and a suppression of alternatives. Um, I mean, there's plenty to say positively about science as a practice. You know, I'm not, I'm not anti-science, but the parallels are absolutely uncanny. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I think that when it comes to things like, for example, the psychologist being like, oh, yeah, we should be able to, like, reduce therapy to, like, an ELISA program, you know, like, like unless you could be critical of that kind of scientific argument, like, it's very detrimental to people's lives, right? Well, yeah, science um, catches reactionary positivism. Like, yeah. it, and, you know, it's hard to name this... Yeah, I don't know. Within certain circles, it's really boilerplate to critique us. But, like, in, in the circles he's traveling in, this is what makes this... Because you might pick up this book and wonder who it's for. Like, because yeah. there's a part that's aimed at people that are culturally steeped in computation. That's com But it's coming from a completely different background. And then, then it's also sort of broadly popular, like, aiming to try to, like, explain the basics of computer science. And like, yeah, um, and you know, he's writing at a time where he's like basically spent his life coming up through like the height of positivism, right? Um, yeah, like you know, it's kind of like on the breakdown phase when he's writing this, but like it is, it is like everything prior to this has been like you know, just all all cylinders firing on positivism, right? Yeah, um, we get a section then on the the drunkard search. Um, which, for those who are unfamiliar, is this kind of little joke about, well, joke slash, you know, um, illustrative kind of thing, parable. Um, you know, uh, in a, on a dark night, a policeman is walking along and comes across a, a drunkard um, who seems to be like on his knees searching uh, under a lamppost for something. And he goes, oh, what's, what's going on here? And the drunkard says, I've lost my keys. And the policeman says, OK, fine, I'll help you. I'll help you find them. And he looks around and he's just like, yeah, but the fucking keys just aren't here. And he asks him, and I was like, are you sure you dropped them here? And he says, no, no, of course not. And he's like, why are you looking here? Well, because this is where the light is, right? On some level, the drunkard knows that the keys aren't here, but this is where the light is. And so that's why he's searching here. There's a fundamental kind of disconnect. Um, the, the circle of light is, is kind of drawn as, um, as a distinct kind of area in contrast to the the darkness beyond, that even if you kind of know what you're searching for is in the darkness, you kind of don't want to go there, um, because that's not where the light is. Um, this, it, he kind of gets into then, like, the way that, like, build, building models always, and, like, and science, like, always simplifies reality, right? It always kind of excludes something. It always pushes something out of consideration into the into the into the darkness. It keeps things within the the, the ring of light, but it, model building just always does this, right? Like you always push something out into the darkness and like into the realm of things you just aren't going to consider. Um, this is just a fundamental 
operation of abstraction, like you're always going to be omitting something. You're going to be omitting the things that are not under the lamppost. Um, but you combine this, like the narrow scope of the, sci the science and the model building, you combine that with the overconfidence and the conviction that the things you are omitting just don't matter. This is reality distortion, right? And that is a, the notion that science distorts reality is to some people extremely mind-bending. Like they will react furiously if you say this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and it's like, I, well, I mean, how could it not? <laughs> well, how could it not? But there's a qualia there because there's a whole, like there's, um, there's a process in mathematics and like, especially in like differential equations where you're trying to create a compound function that behaves something mm -hmm. like something does in real life. And so you use different functions for different points on the graph. And there, right. it's just this like, it's like you're painting or something. You're doing representational painting. You're kind of like looking over there and trying to tweak it. And like the, the like there are these like very constructive processes in mathematics where I, I find it so hard to believe that you wouldn't know or you wouldn't feel the conviction as I do that you're dealing with like some very abstract stuff and matching it to something real rather than like un uncovering the the shape of the stuff. <laughs> th yeah, well, I, but yeah, but I think it's it's more the thing where it, you construct the abstractions, you know, as you must in order to theorize about anything right like you can't take you can't just one yeah, yeah, yeah. map everything yeah, but, but isn't it appropriate abstraction? you say yeah. everything that is not inside the abstraction is irrelevant right and that's that's the violence right is is it, it is to say oh well but that doesn't fall inside my model therefore it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter or i'm just going to ignore its existence or hide it or suppress it or destroy it because yeah. there's 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 an equal, there's an equal like there is like another way of responding to it that's like oh I should improve my model and include like at least one more like axis of information so try to capture yeah. like what I think is the essential dynamic you know like whatever like if you believe in an essential dynamic things have like an overwhelming process to them like as yeah, well, you know yeah. you have to have humility as a scientist in the face of reality, right? In face of yeah. the universe and like <laughs> it's ungraspable fundamental complexity and depth. And if you don't have that, you just end up taking it out in terms of violence uh, against those who are bringing up objections valid or otherwise. Um, yeah, totally. Um, the example that's laid out here is like um, Herbert Simon, who just Upfront just declares that the inner complexity of the human being has nothing to do with their behavior, that it is just irrelevant. He just punts it into the dark and just goes, fuck it, whatever. Um, everything inside the circle is stuff that I've decided is relevant. Everything outside of it is not relevant. And that's just the way it is. Um, and, you know, kind of ludicrous shit. Like, you know, this is just insane, right? Like the notion that like the inner state and the inner complexity of a human being would have nothing to do with their behavior. It's madness. But this is the kind of madness that passes for science, isn't it? You know? In the behaviorist yeah. paradigm, yeah, level, like, uh, in uh, page 128, there's um, a quote from Simon, an ant behaved as a behaving system is quite simple. The apparent complexity of its behavior over time is largely a reflection of the, of the complexity of environment in which it finds itself. Um, so that is why an automaton, although completely different at the microscopic level, might nevertheless simulate the ant's gross behavior i should like to 
explore this hypothesis, but with the word man substitute, substituted for ants. And then the man behaved as he viewed as a behaving system is quite simple. The imparity, com, apparent complexity of his behavior over time is largely a reflection, dot, dot, dot. Like, I, I believe that this hypothesis holds even for the whole man. Like, that's, yep. um, where, yeah, where do you get convictions like this from the scientific process? Like, uh, at the very least, I think you could accuse this person of philosophizing, right? Of philosophizing, but saying, nah, I don't do that. I only, I'm only sticking in facts and logic. Like, but clear, at the very least, clearly, you know, if you, if you want the, like, positivist critique of positivism what they're doing here is sneaking in like a reactionary bias yeah absolutely it's, it's, it's crack pipe science but it pa- this is the thing is it passes for science and this is one example that of like probably any number that Weizenbaum could have used right like this this comes up again and again where you have this com- com- combination of abstraction that omits so much and then absolute confidence that everything that's been omitted is completely irrelevant and you see this happening again with all this recent AI hype stuff, right? Like, suddenly everyone is fucking convinced that language models are general intelligence or, or are the pathway to general intelligence. If you disagree, you're simply fucking wrong. If you bring up anything that they've excluded from their model, who gives a shit? Like, it's it's excluded. We don't care. Um, you know, it's the, the same shit is happening again and again. Um, it's pretty damn constant. You get... Um, I don't know. I mean, fucking medicine, right? Like, um, the classic problem of, like, women trying to be treated well by their doctors and just, like, doctors just go, yeah, um, whatever particular shit you've got to do with your womanhood, who gives a shit? Like, it's, 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 it's abstracted away. doesn't matter who, who, who cares. Um, or, like, the Simon model, like, basically being, like, written into the DSM and then informing treatment, right? Uh-huh. Like, this kind of stuff is has very real consequences yeah yeah um so it, it's it's something that's fucking constant basically in and again it, it's really hard to kind of confront this stuff as people who are not particularly anti-science right like uh, i think there's a lot to be said for the scientific process and stuff but again you kind of can't ignore the evidence here of like hey there's some real shitty stuff that keeps happening constantly and you know is propped up and legitimized constantly. And yeah, how, how do you navigate this without losing faith in the whole damn thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that feels like the most Frankfurt School thing about this, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the ra- yeah. rational critique of rationality. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this I think this part, as, as entertaining as the opening part against those damn, you know, incel hoop-socking engineers, or I'm sorry, uh, 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 addicts, you know, those, those lumpen, lumpen coders Absolutely. can't even, they can't even really, they can't even really grasp the forms, honestly. Like, let's be real. Um, <laughs> like as, as, as much fun as this is, I think this, this part really hits harder. Like, and, uh, he does close out on that note of, and I think Kyle's already read the quotes here, but like the kind of the, the success and the power of self-validating systems of thought, right? That these, these things have a lot of steam behind them. And, but they do have this risk risk of catastrophic failure. Like systems that are detached in this way always run this risk of just, of, um, of just becoming completely detached from reality and failing massively. Um, and that's, that's especially, it's especially dangerous when you have these systems that claim to capture the entirety of humanity, but very obviously don't. Yeah. I just, I'm just, I'm just thinking, thinking about the metaverse, you know, just thinking about the metaverse. <laughs> That's all. Like, 
but people really rejected some level of virtual reality and like you know in the right at, at, at least this cultural moment there's a moment of cultural luddism can, like, oh yeah for just, sure yeah and i mean you know I, I do enjoy a virtual reality game but i don't think going to work in virtual reality sounds fun no <laughs> you know who's asking for that apparently not very many people so mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i think all that kind of shit is like um i, th I think there's, there's been a long trend in um in tech and stuff of like mining the depths of science fiction for like inspiration of what to work on next so i think one of the one of the really good examples is like um on on Star Trek, yeah, for the iPad, right? That like um, the the designers of the iPad were very like people have been champing at the bit for ages to do a tablet kind of interface or like touchscreen flat sort of interfaces. Um, the big the, the big inspiration was Star Trek, right? Because they had those flat kind of touchscreen interfaces. Now, one of the funny things there is that like there was a there was a big change from the original series to Next Generation, where the original series they had these like molded dashboards and like buttons and dials and shit like that. Um, oh yeah, yes. which are iconic, by the way. The Game Boy cartridges that they stick in, like, I there's a, a really like really delicious chunky design there. But yeah, in the next generation, you get the L cars display. Yeah, you get the flat displays, and the reason for that is it was cheaper set design. That putting bits of perspex behind glass was a much cheaper way to make these dashboards and so but then that that triggers in the imagination of all these these youngsters it's like oh shit it'd be awesome to have touch screens um so you know you, you get the kind of obvious stuff like i guess you get the touchscreen ipad you get the, the communicator you get mobile phones you get all that kind of shit right like um but a lot of the low-hanging fruit are gone now right and so you get into shit like the vr stuff which like is just the the sort of effort to reward ratio is just off in a way that's not like i think the, the, the replicating the communicator and the touchscreen is just a slam dunk fucking success like they're they're kind of obviously good ideas and you get some really good runway with those but with things like vr and whatever it's like actually this this thing that we've pulled from sci-fi actually kind of sucks you know and I think we're, we're hitting a kind of trough of dis disillusionment with a lot of this stuff where it kind of turns out that, you know, I don't know, the, the off-world colonies were a nightmare all along, you know, or, or that, that's a nightmare concept or the fucking VR stuff is a nightmare concept, actually, you know, and it's like we're, we're not getting the cool shit delivered anymore. We're getting the, um, the kind of remnants of like, ah, these, these are not, not fun. This is not fun to use, actually, you know, uh, that's my that's my pet theory. Yeah, also just like, people not being able to sleep because of their devices, you know, um, people, uh, the, the, the LLMs coming for people's jobs, you know, is, 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 is I think definitely is inside a degree of bloodism and, and, um, yeah, like it's, uh, th there's a lot of like consequences that touch on people's lives um, in ways that they're reacting to negatively, as well as, like, everyone feeling pretty unplussed about, like, the big hype that is uh, being pushed by tech at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because, like, v v VR as, as a product is, like, for hobbyists, like, at best. Yeah. Like, people that are willing to put two to three hours into, oh, why won't this work with this program? Like, not, um, not... 
it's like it's it's not ready by a long shot but it's one of those things i don't know if you have some appeal to ultimate economic rationality as like the falling rate of profit and the ensuing process of insidification insh- that comes in after like that actual profitability has been like like uh or or if you if you're putting up a model that has no profitability thing and you're disrupting like in the silicon valley mm-hmm. um do yeah do we, have, do we have anything else to, to say about these couple of chapters? I, I thought they were fun. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you, again, I, I think there's like a level of vitriol in chapter four that isn't really healthy. Um, and uh, I think that, yeah, like needs to be re-examined uh, that lead to any kind of positive outcomes. But um I think that uh, overall, it's like, you know, a very good sort of like going from the basics of what is a machine to like, how does this pose a social issue? Well, I think he's right about the I think he's right about the analysis of the the obsessive construction of self-validating systems of thought and the way that programming resembles that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Like, like everything he's describing, I've seen empirically or experienced myself. So, like, it's not that, like, the description no, no, is no, wrong. No, 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 It's that it's approached with a degree of vitriol that, like, isn't really conducive to, like, sort of, like, therapeutic readjustment or escaping from the paradigm. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, at best, this person is trying to shout himself out of, like out of being an egg and transit. I mean, I'm um, out of, you know, being a, a hacker. Okay. And, and become, become an engineer, damn it. You know, at best, like that's because yeah, yeah, I think there is room for that kind of trolling and writing, but like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Usually when you're attacking someone's relationship to their body or like going for the, the throat. Like, um, yeah. So I think chapter four has issues there. Um, one thing I wanted to, to kind of mention just quickly is, um, uh, I think we, we we looked at this stuff in the group chat a while ago, but um, the, the the notion of like Turing machines, um, like t- Turing actually had also this kind of augmented notion of a Turing machine called an Oracle machine or an O machine. Um, that was um, I'll put this in the show notes, but it's it's an interesting kind of thing where like you know the the, the Turing machine has the tape and the playhead and the symbol manipulation stuff going on, but it, it is a closed system, right? Like, it's something you can kind of look at and go, oh, this is, a, this is a closed hermetic kind of system, and it's not getting any new information from anywhere. Um, Turing actually did kind of theorize, like, what if you had a modified Turing machine that would plug in um, other data sources that he just called oracles? Like, um, and so an, an oracle is some some source of data that you can read from or even write to but you don't know necessarily what it is like it's just it's the outside and so that's how you might inject randomness or variety or just non-deterministic stuff into the system and so I, I, as far as i can remember turing even kind of hypothesizes that like um human beings are probably not turing machines but we probably are oracle machines like o machines so like the the o machine integrates the outside environment through these portals basically um and is are responding to things that are kind of non-deterministic and i I found it interesting as a kind of modification of poison bombs 
um, remark that like human beings are at least Turing machines, you know, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> that, that also contains Oracle machines, right? Like that uh, an Oracle machine is at least a Turing machine and it's modified, you know? Um, but also interesting that that, that does show up in Turing, like right at the beginning. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. Do you think Oracle, the company is named for Turing's Oracle machines? No, almost, almost certainly. Now yeah. that you mention it, like yeah, but yeah, but, but also the Oracle of Delphi, you know, being like yes, that, that's clearly what Turing was referring to. Okay, yeah, okay, great. So I, I think that's definitely what Turing was referring to is that like the Oracle as a, just a source of information from the outside, you know, like so, some unaccountable source of information that you basically like in in Turing's formalism, it's like the Oracle is something that's not computable in Turing terms, like inside the system. It's just something outside, something other. And you can just, you can ask it for information, it goes four. And then you ask it for more information, it goes 23. And you just, you don't know what this really means, but, you know. Yeah, in in game design, we often use it to describe, like, uh, rolling dice or, you know, uh, picking a card out of a deck of cards or something like that as an oracle. Yeah. Yeah. Or or even so that that's absolutely true. Or even like in a video game or even in a in a board game or a tabletop game, the players are also oracle sources, right? They're injecting information into the system that from from if you view the the game, the board game or whatever from its own perspective like inside its formal system, it has this like set of rules and state transitions and then it has these magic portals through which information comes called the players and the dice. You know. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. for listening to General Inspectinet. While you wait for the next episode, you can find us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. You can find us on Facebook and all the podcast apps. If you'd like to support the show, get access to our community Discord and help keep the lights on, then go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and give us a couple of bucks a month. Every contribution is greatly appreciated. This show is part of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast network and research collective. Go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows such as Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They're excellent shows and excellent folks. As always, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we hope you'll join us again next time.